number 12. We had to memorize the list of names we'd gotten. There was no way to carry them. For the most part, the names meant nothing to us. They were just names. And I'll only use the first names. Except for the one name that really stuck out. Joe Bob Finestre. Fighty777 was, in reality, the billionaire owner of Web Access America. No way, Marco said. That guy hangs out in chat rooms? If I were him, I'd spend my day rolling around in big stacks of $100 bills, paying Michael Jordan to come over and teach me how to improve my three-point shot. You have no three-point shot, Marco, I pointed out. And having the female cast members of Baywatch apply suntan oil to my muscular body. So you'd have bought some muscles too, huh? Rachel said. They didn't know you could do that. When you count your money in billions, you can buy anything, Marco said. Including happiness. Assuming that your idea of happiness involves a private jet, supermodels, and your own Papa John's pizza restaurant down in the basement. Be sure to leave your brain to science when you die, Marco, Rachel said. After all, they're the ones with the microscopes it'd take to find it. I laughed. Marco cocked an eyebrow at me, like I'd betrayed him. I shrugged. Sorry, but that round goes to Rachel. We had taken the bus back to the airport. We were feeling pleased that we'd accomplished our mission. But I was worried about getting home. I did not want to go back aboard that plane and fly morph. But I didn't know how else to do it. I was scared. Just that simple. I was scared. But I was also scared of letting the others know I was scared. Weird, huh? Scared and scared of people thinking you're scared? I was trembling by the time we got inside the airport. I don't know if anyone noticed. I couldn't see myself trembling. I could only feel it. It was like when you have a fever and you get chills that make your stomach muscles shake violently and make you want to curl up in a ball and pile covers five feet high all over your body. The others kept chattering away, and I kept adding a word here or a smile there. You know, so no one would think anything was wrong. But I was sweating. I used my sleeve to wipe my forehead, and the sleeve came away as wet as if I dipped it into a sink. You know, maybe we should try some other morph on the way home, Cassie said nonchalantly. Ah, so at least one person I'd noticed. Cassie. She was trying to give me a way out, without embarrassing me. Why? Axe asked. I don't know, Cassie said with just a hint of tension in the way she kept her mouth tight. It might be fun to do it a different way. We already went over it before, Rachel said reasonably. We decided Flymorph would work best, right? I mean, just because Jake had some trouble doesn't mean the idea is bad. Deadlock. Cassie couldn't say anything more without it being obvious that she was trying to protect me. And I couldn't have that. Flymorph is fine, I said coolly as I could. Still the best way to do this. I think Cassie was a little disgusted with me. Hey, Jake, she said, fake bright. Come buy me a pretzel. I'm hungry. You guys go on ahead. Cassie grabbed my arm and hauled me aside. The others went on. That was subtle, I said. I don't have any more money. Cassie looked at me and shook her head. What is the matter with you? You don't have to do this. 
You don't have to prove how tough you are. It's not a problem, Cassie. Thanks, but let it go, okay? Jake, you may have the others fooled, but not me. You're scared, and you have good reason to be scared. So what's the big deal? I tried to walk away, but that felt wrong. I turned back to face her. The big deal is I'm supposedly the leader of this little army. So? So you're not supposed to be human? That's absolutely right. I'm not supposed to be human. She laughed uncertainly, like she wasn't sure if I was joking or not. No one expects you to be Superman, Jake. You think the others won't respect you if you admit you're terrified of something? It's not about respect. It's not even about being scared. It's about letting fear tell you what to do. If it's unreasonable fear, you have to get past it, Cassie said. But there's a reason for this fear. You were nearly killed. I shook my head. No, you're usually right, Cassie, but this time you're wrong. See, if I give in to fear, then that gives everyone permission to give in to fear. And we all have good reasons to be afraid. Pretty soon, we'd be totally paralyzed. We wouldn't be able to do anything because one of us might have some good reason to be scared. We don't morph ants anymore because they scared all of us, but mostly Marco, Cassie pointed out. We don't ever talk about morphing termites because of my problems with them. What's the difference? The difference is, you all decided I was the leader, I said. That's the difference. A leader may be just as weak or scared or doubtful as anyone else, but he isn't allowed to show it. People say they want leaders to be just like them, but I don't think so. People want leaders to act the way people wish they could act themselves. Marco and Rachel and Tobias and Axe don't want me to give them permission to be scared. They want me to help them be brave. Cassie looked at me for a long time, and I looked away, feeling uncomfortable. We didn't do you any favors when we made you leader, did we? Cassie asked. I forced a grim smile. There's something else a leader doesn't do, I said. Complain about being a leader. We did pick the right person, though, she said. Once again, I started to walk away, but Cassie grabbed my arm. Look, maybe you're right, but I'll bet even great generals and presidents or whatever have friends they can be honest with, people who would never lose faith in them, no matter what. I had the strangest desire to burst out crying right then. I also had the desire to hug Cassie really hard. I didn't do either. Come on, I said. The others are waiting. Chapter 13 We made it back home okay. No one swatted me and I felt better for getting past the fear. At least, that's what I told myself. You never really get past the fear. Fear eats a little hole in you, like the rust in the fender of a car. You fill the hole up with putty and sand and smooth it and paint it over so no one else can see it, but it's never really as good as new. I was exhausted by the time I made it home. My brother was in the kitchen, talking on the phone while he smeared peanut butter on a graham cracker. When he heard me come in, he changed his tone of voice. In the old days, I would have assumed he'd been talking to a girl. Now, I assumed he'd been talking to some other controller. I unloaded a bunch of food from the refrigerator, leftover barbecue chicken and mashed potatoes. 
I plopped it all on a plate and stuck it in the microwave. I gotta go, Tom said into the phone. He hung up. What's up? I asked him. Nada, he said and left the room. I took my food up to my room. I started to boot up my computer, but hesitated. Instead, I sat down and munched indifferently while staring at the blank screen. So, what did it mean that Joe Bob Finestre was the so-called Fighty 777? Judging by the chat we'd eavesdropped on, Fighty 777 was a legitimate Yurk fighter. Not like the Yurk hater person, who had been an obvious controller. But it wasn't that simple. Joe Bob Finestre had access to all WAA information. So he knew who all the other people in that chat room really were. He even knew who had established the webpage. Finestre had access to all kinds of information. He owned the biggest online service in the country. So maybe that's how he discovered the existence of the Yurk invasion. Or maybe the point was that the Yurks had seen how important Finestre was and had made him a controller. It would make sense. Which left us no wiser than we had been going in. Was Finestre a true enemy of the Yurks? Or was he a controller using the website as a lure to trap true enemies of the Yurks? We had to know. I should head over to Marco's house and get him to pull up any articles he could find on Joe Bob Finestre's house. He didn't live too far away. He flew his own private jet to his WAA offices every day. I was really tired. I felt like I could have slept for a week. But weekends were our good time. School days were tougher. And tomorrow, Sunday, was the end of the weekend. I went downstairs. My parents had both just come in. They were carrying department store handlebags. They had been shopping. Hey, Jake, my dad said. Honey, there are some more bags in the car, my mom said. I brought in the bags. I'm taking off, I said. My mom gave me a look. Weren't you out all day? I shrugged. I guess so. Would it kill you to have dinner with your family? Is it dinner time? It will be as soon as I make that salmon I picked up yesterday, she said. You loved it last time I made it. I mostly got it for you. Guilt. Great. I smiled. Well, you didn't tell me that's what you were making. Marco can wait. I'm there. We try not to use the phone very much. Phone lines are too easy to tap. Plus, I never knew if Tom might be listening in. So I couldn't call Marco or Rachel. I'd have to do the research myself. If we were going to bust into Joe Bob Finestri's massive home, we'd need some idea what we were dealing with. I started on some homework while my mom cooked. Then, my dad yelled up the stairs to say that Showtime was doing a rebroadcast of this fight that had been on pay-per-view. So I took my homework downstairs and worked on it with one eye on the TV. Then, we had dinner. The four of us. Like the old days. My dad got off into some long, involved, really boring story about his work. And my mom asked me and Tom about school. Then, my dad realized he'd forgotten some part of his boring story. So he had to tell that part over again. And my mom said she hoped we liked the clothes she'd bought at the mall. And, of course, Tom and I joked about how she'd probably shopped at formerly cool fashions R us. It was an old joke we always used whenever my mom bought us clothing. It was so normal. Tom and me. Our parents. My mom and dad squeezing each other's hands like they were on their first date. 
I sat there afterward, stuffed with fish and rice and snap peas, and still stuffing my face with something called tiramisu, which is an Italian dessert soaked in some kind of liquor. I wanted to believe it was all real. Because, you know, that was the whole point of fighting. The whole point of taking risks and fighting the Yurks was to protect boring, average, no-big-deal times like this. I flashed back on being smashed across the ceiling of the plane. And I flashed on the time we'd almost been able to save Tom, down in the hell of the yurt pool. It made me mad. Mostly, what people want is to be left alone. They just want to sit down and have a nice dinner and tell boring stories and tell jokes they've told a dozen times before. But I guess there is always someone out there who thinks life, just plain old boring, sweet everyday life, isn't enough. And that's when the killing starts. In this war, it was the Yurks. But there had been an awful lot of wars when it was just human against human. What is the matter with people that they don't know all that really counts is that people who love each other be able to be together, live in peace, learn, work, tell boring stories and dumb jokes? What do they think they're going to get that is better than that? You're awfully quiet, Jake, my mother said. Thinking deep thoughts? I smiled. I was thinking this was cool. We should all have dinner together more often. I looked at Tom. It was nice. I hope nothing ever happens to us. I hope we'll always be together. The yurk inside Tom's head searched Tom's memory. The yurk opened his memory and read it like a book. He played the strings of Tom's brain like a violinist squeezing perfect notes out of a violin. The yurk found the answer that Tom would have made. It aimed Tom's eyes and made Tom's face smile sardonically. It opened Tom's mouth and made Tom say the words Tom would have said if he'd been able. Hey, Mom, no more tiramisu for Jake. The liquor is making him mushy. I laughed the way I should, and I thought to myself, the day will come, Yurk, when I will tear you out of his head and destroy you for what you've done to my family. Chapter 14 While I spent the evening with my family, Marco had been busy. He'd used the hackproof program Axe had written for him to go back to the chat room. He told us about it when we trudged out to the woods at the edge of Cassie's farm. Tobias and Axe could both be themselves out there. Mostly the same people were there, Marco explained. There were some new names, but Govikes, Yurkater, Chaz, CKD Sweet, Yurkiller, Carlito, Megmom, and Gump8293 were all there. The Gump Kid is still talking about his dad. I get the feeling maybe he's getting ready to confront his father. We can't let that happen, Cassie said. Gump is a nine-year-old kid, I reminded everyone. He lives close enough. Meg, Chaz, and CKD Sweet are all from out of town. Some of them way out of town. That leaves us with Govikes, an idiot, Rachel pointed out. Yurkater, Gump, Chaz, and of course, Fidey777, I finished. Yurkater is a controller, right? Tobias asked. I mean, that's what he acts like. Like a controller trying to pass himself off as an enemy of the Yurks. Tobias was in a branch maybe ten feet over our heads. His talons sank deep into loose bark. Cassie tilted her head back and forth like she wasn't too sure. Yurkater is someone named Edward Cheltingham. What was he, thirty years old? But you know what? 
I looked in the phone book this morning, and there was no Edward Cheltingham. Only two Cheltinghams listed, and they were both female. So, he has an unlisted phone number, Rachel said. Maybe so. Or maybe Edward Cheltingham is as phony a name as your cater, Cussie said. Isn't it possible to get a fake ID and a credit card in some name, and then open a WAA account? Obviously, that had not occurred to anyone except Cassie. Oh, Rachel said. Great, a new level of difficulty. So this guy could be anyone. We have an address for him, Cassie said. We could check it out. She looked at me. We also have an address for Gump. Gump isn't the point, Marco said. Fenestre is the person in the middle of all this. He's the main man. Figure out what's happening with him, and you figure it all out. Maybe, Cassie conceded. But he can wait. Gump may be in trouble right now. Look, Cassie, Marco said. It's Sunday. If we go after Fenestre, it's probably going to take some time. Which means a weekend. Which means today. We can check out Gump any day after school. Monday. Tuesday. Unless Monday is too late. Unless later today that scared little kid talks to his dad, and his dad is a controller, and that's it for Gump. Gump does a disappearing act, or else ends up as the new home of some low-level yerk. The two of them looked to me. I was supposed to decide which was our top priority. Rescue a nine-year-old, or maybe bust open the whole thing with a raid on Fenestri's mansion. I looked down at the ground. Marco, did you happen to do any research on Fenestri's house? No, I thought you were doing it. I got kind of tied up. Big family thing. It's supposed to have massive security, Marco said. Lots of computer stuff. But it shouldn't be any problem for us. I mean, security is designed to keep humans out, right? Not animals. I nodded. I hoped he was right. I felt a twinge of worry. But Marco was right. Fenesha was at the center. Cassie. First thing after school tomorrow, we'll check out Gump. She nodded, but she looked bitter. I hope that's soon enough. Yup, me too. Okay. I rubbed my hands together, shot Rachel a cocky wink, and put on my best game face. Let's do it then. Let's go see how the super rich live. I sensed I was making a mistake, but I didn't know what it was. And a leader has to lead not sit around consulting his horoscope or taking his own pulse. So I made the decision. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, I don't really have any news today, and I'm pretty hungry and need to go cook dinner, so let's just keep this short and breezy, folks. Uh, if you like what you hear here, and you use Apple Podcasts, and you feel like it, give me a rating and review. I love to get those. They're super neat. If you'd like to, I don't know, come say hi, ask me a question, make a comment, you can do that at audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Be sure to also check out my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse. It's like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Uh, it's got all my stuff that i do including other podcasts so check it out uh and that's all i have this week so i will see you all next week
My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.